everyone to another episode of those good old-fashioned values the first and hopefully last family guy podcast on the internet i am spencer aka the lonely photon and i am joined as always by my co-host andy aka x underscore anarcho anon on twitter hello and ty aka bobo underscore circus on twitter and today we are talking about a season that i think all of us have been kind of looking forward to talking about season four specifically the first half 15 episodes this is a 30 episode season so we decided to break it up into two parts it's also probably slice it down the middle yeah it's also probably the most important season of the show since it's the first when it got revived after it was it's the first season of the show to actually win a pulitzer it is you know the first post cancellation season it is the first season without seth MacFarlane as a showrunner and it is probably, I don't know if you all would agree with me on this, but it is probably the first episode of, or the first season of the show that really starts to feel like the family guy that's become like a big part of culture. I got that a little bit from season three, no, but yeah, season that. four feels way more like Father and Family Guy than anything pre-cancellation. Yeah, season three, season three feels like the missing link. Season yeah. four feels like the actual caveman. Yep. And, and just to clarify, I'll probably make a tweet about this later, but uh, if I had to rank the season so far, it would be from best to worst uh four two three yeah yeah that sounds that sounds about right okay yeah i know this might come off as shocking because the general conception for people who you know aren't obsessives like us is that the show peaked before cancellation and this is generally considered to be like the simpsons season nine it's the beginning of the end but I don't think any of us really agree with that. No. No. If if I had to pick a season to be the beginning of the end, I would probably, oof, probably maybe season ten. Uh, season maybe I'd go a little three. earlier, like eight or nine. But yeah, like right at the yeah, end I, of I the twenty tens. I've I've put too much stake in season eight being uh like what I where I think it hit its stride that I don't want to do season eight because then I would look like an idiot. But no, I I can see an argument being made for that. The point is, uh, once the Bush years were done and we're fully in the Obama years, that's when Family Guy got bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, this show is very much, it does feel like this part of the show feels very much like a Bush era artifact. So I guess I want to start off by talking about, like, before we get into any of the specific character stuff, the big difference I noticed between season two and, or a pre-cancellation Family Guy and season four. Yeah. The, the thing is, Family Guy, before this, Family Guy was always a cynical show. You know, all adult-oriented animated sitcoms are, but... Sorry about that, I, I, I tried to shut a door there. What separates Family Guy Season 4 from the, the earlier seasons is that the earlier seasons were more about the world being cynical to the Griffins, whereas this season, just the Griffins themselves are way more cynical and, and, and snarky and sort of sitcom-y almost mostly i would say that is an improvement for some characters like meg i would say it's a bit it's way too much yeah. yeah but i would say this is kind of like when i think this is my ideal family guy season in a sense like this and like the next couple seasons no i will i will agree with that. i think i think it does get a bit cruel to meg uh but i think overall maybe her and stewie are like the only ones that i think aren't particularly served by the season but overall i think it is a much I, easier I like show to, i i like stewie i just don't know if it's like the best iteration of him I, I can yeah, see, yeah. yeah, yeah. But one thing I one thing I wanted to bring up that I think uh, Andy talked about a little bit last episode is that if season three was sloppy about its plots, I think this one is just fully thrown the plots out with the bathwater. Like like there are maybe two or three episodes in this season that. I think the plot is an actual going concern for the show. And and I complained a lot about it in season three. And it's like, oh man, this does not work. I wish the season did not bother me at all this season. And I think it's just because like the more casual, like less caring, cynical nature makes it more feeling like it's more upfront about its story structure than like seasons one and three are. I wanted to actually disagree a little bit there because I found myself catching a couple episodes like uh, Jungle Love, for example, where the A and B plots like actually do tie together. There's still like the, you know, the A to B to C type plotting they do, like where the first act, second act and third act have like nothing to do with each other. But they did kind of find ways to like weave the different threads together at a couple points. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's definitely better than season three, but I, I do think still like in terms of story structure, season two is probably the strongest. 
noticed. And and there are a couple times this season where I think they were trying to make the plot happen in a way that I don't think particularly served the show. But I, I think what they have over season three is that, yeah, you're right, that they, they're moving closer to that idea of just plot as basically like set dressing. I, I don't think they're entirely there yet, but it's definitely way closer than it was. I, I think I think the big difference is that season three was the beginning of the full like pedal to the metal in terms of jokes over anything over the plot. Lot. And while, like, that may be toned down a little bit, this season, I think, has much stronger character writing overall. Like, tighter character writing. In so it, it flails, like, yes, you're putting them in wildly different situations, but it feels more naturalistic because these characters are more consistent. I, yeah, that's a good point. They, like, again, characters still have, like, a little ways to go. Like, Stewie's not fully the, like, really gay character that he would be later. Or the He's definitely more gay than he was in pre- any of the pre-cancellation sure. seasons. Brian's not yeah. quite at this level level of like self-loathing but but he's closer they're really starting to hit their stride with a lot of characters like lois i think they found like a good way to balance you know the sitcom mom versus her like cattier meaner nature i i think all of her best moments are like when the mask slips a little bit and when she's like trying to tell meg to practice safe sex and then she just starts breaking out breaks out laughing laughing. yeah yeah my my episode focuses a lot on that but no i i would make the case that i think lois is the strongest character this season uh i also liked what brian got this season but we'll we'll, we'll talk about them more but i would agree yes this is easily lois's best yeah this is the year of lois Meg, I think, is worse, and Chris Chris is better this season, but I'm still not really feeling him yet. But I think, like, this is probably my favorite incarnations of the other four, like, Family Guy characters. Like, this is what I like them as most. And, and I think it's just because season four is, like, the first Family Guy stuff I ever saw. So this is what I think of as the default You imprinted show. on it, yeah. I think that Chris is at a point now where I find him charming rather than annoying. I, I would agree I think with Chris that. is always kind of like a double-edged sword, but I think that they got to a point where he works more often than he doesn't. Yeah, I think my point isn't that Chris is necessarily terrible this season. I just think there's still a lot of room for improvement. I wanted to go back to the structure because a couple things I noticed this season uh, in terms of structure is that Maybe it's just recency bias, but it feels like there are even more cutaway gags this season than there, like, usually are. Yes. There are so many, to the point where there was one episode where I wrote down in my notes, like, too many cutaways or something. (laughs) And they also, like... There were a lot of cutaways in the first three seasons, but there's sort of this cultural notion that all the cutaways in Family Guy begin with, that was crazier than the time I, or this is worse than the time I, like something in that format. And that wasn't really true in the first three seasons, but it's really true here. They do that a lot. Yeah. I mean, the first couple seasons, really, like, most of the cutaways were through TV or whatever. And I think that there's a bit of growing pains. And there were often also transitions in between the scenes. This one, they're just, they're just like, just throw a cutaway anywhere. Anywhere in the episode, you can put a cutaway. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, also, like, that is kind of, I, I, I think, a necessary glue to keep in the show if the, you are doing away with the importance of the plot somewhat, is that if you're building it on the jokes, it helps to have, you know, the, the ability to tell a lot more jokes of varied kinds. Yeah. This is also one of the first seasons where they really start to push the limits of duration in terms of jokes. Like, Yes. They did it a bit in earlier seasons, but this is where it really hits. Yeah, because yeah, season two or three had the, the, the Peter Kneescrape joke, right. which is like a, a start of that. Yeah, it was season two. Um, yeah, no, I took note of that too. There's like at least one per episode. Oftentimes there's two or three. Yeah, the first time I really noticed one that was like so long that it kind of, it bugged me a little bit, but it's like, this is the point of the joke is that it's just way too long, was um Stewie nagging Brian about his novel and it just keeps going for like a full minute. It's too long, I think, but you don't really have the show without those like really overlong jokes that don't make any sense in terms of writing. So one thing before we, we go any further that I, I wanted to really talk about and focus on this episode is that since this was the, the the post-cancellation season, I think like a lot of American pop culture has changed. This is the first season after like, that was written after 9-11, the Iraq War, Bush's re-election, I believe. Like this is, I think, 
And I think this show was coming in and ha- and also like its resurgence was looking at a lot of like the kind of humor that Jon Stewart and Stephen... Was the Colbert show out yet? I don't know. The, the point is they were looking at a lot of daily show humor and also sort of taking that for a lot... Because this season's way more political. And it's not just more political, it's political of the times. And I think that helps. It was... This is this is a, oh, we're Democrats. Everything sucks. Let's just, let's just fucking let loose. Let's just cut through the bullshit. They, they had a bit of like a Bill Maher, uh, to steal a phrase, an in-your-face liberal kind of streak in the early seasons, but it's really here. Like, it's really... And I think, while I do like it this season, because I agree with it, this is also where we get all of the ranting about millennials and Twitters and cancel culture and all that stuff that copulates a lot of the modern seasons. Yeah, they, they had an episode where they have like a couple of sides about rape culture on college campuses. Yes, that was uncomfortable. Yeah, that was uncomfortable, although there was one joke um, that I did kind of laugh at, admittedly. Uh, The one where... The ones where... There's uh, two minutes, like, both of them will probably be a rapist, and then one of them says, I would never, and then the other one says, I might. I might. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it was was kind of an awkward, because, like, at the beginning of the joke, you're like, okay, like, uh, yeah, rape on college campuses isn't a problem. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then they kind of subvert it, but not enough to, like, make the joke work and that you know it, yeah it's 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 kind of an awkward uh, i i think that it's com- like there's a tension between the kind of in-your-face liberalism that you're talking about and the and the kind of need to shock and i think sometimes those don't jive particularly well one thing that i that i commented about on season three that, that i did like and that this this season continues is season four has a much tighter use of its of its side characters yes it feels like everyone gets a lot more screen time than they did in season one and two it feels like we're getting a a lot of spotlight episodes on Joe or Quagmire or Mort or everyone. Quahog feels like kind of like how Springfield did by like seasons three or four. Yeah. Ironically enough, it feels like oh, this is the this is the town. These are the people who live here. Yeah, the uh, Quagmire, Peter, Cleveland, and Joe. They really feel like the the friend group now. They really feel like the central squad of the show. I've I've taken to referring to them in my notes as the Capital Gang, just because yeah. like what yeah. else would you call it? Like yeah. Yeah, other than writing out. It's, all four names which is also why like this season the the peter brian stuff is at its lowest and it just keeps because peter doesn't hang out with brian which is Stewie fine. does yeah peter hang out hangs out with the others there was the one episode that's otherwise pretty good the james woods episode but the whole thing is based around uh you know brian and peter's friendship dissolving because you know a couple of reasons brian has a girlfriend and uh james woods enter, enters the picture and i think that it would have worked better in like season two when that was still a dynamic, but it's not really anymore. The thing about that is, I feel like almost every Family Guy season still has a Man, just even by obligations, aren't Peter and Brian still friends? And to be fair, I think anytime they do like an episode that involves all of the Griffins or like group family stuff, you do still get a lot of Peter and Brian. So like Peter and Brian outside of maybe Peter and Lois are the closest two of the Griffins. But it's it's also clear anytime they're doing like Anytime they're not just doing full-on Griffin stories and and more splitting stuff up, Brian is not with Peter. Yeah, Peter is usually with Lois, Brian is usually with Stewie, and then Meg or Chris are usually deployed sparingly unless it's their story. Either with each other or with someone else. It's also, I think it's also funny, the the thing with Chris that they haven't really gotten in is a lot of modern Chris is also inserting himself into Brian and Stewie stories. I think it's just because they don't have other places to put him, which I think is interesting. And I think it's also because, like, Meg fits in really well into the Peter-Lois dynamic. Chris kind of doesn't feel fit as well into that dynamic. So it's it, I think that's why they, they pushed him into the, the Stewie-Brian dynamic and let Chris sort of start understanding Stewie. I wanted to mention something also. So as we talked about earlier, this season is exceptionally cruel to Meg. It's still going to get worse, but yeah. this is like really where... This is where it really hits the throttle. I don't know if it necessarily gets worse, but it maintains this level of bad. Like it... Like, this no, it gets worse. This isn't this episode, but the next part, ha- next set of uh, season four episodes we'll cover has the uh, the Meg rapist joke. And like, yeah, it does get worse, but like that and like the episode where Meg and Brian date, like I don't necessarily think it gets worse, but it is really bad and really uncomfortable. I, I, think, I think the difference is that now they're being cruel to Meg, like offhandedly. In later seasons, they are cruel to Meg deliberately. Yeah. There's also... I don't know. In the earlier seasons, there was some cruelty to Meg, but... But 
Yeah, there was a marked well, it difference. Felt more, it felt more because she was just, like, boring or whatever, or that she just wasn't all that interesting. That type of meanness, I think, is more, I don't, I don't want to say good, but it has more of a comedic bent to it that feels less uncomfortable. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you two have seen Arrested Development, but the running joke with, um... Michael yes. Sarah's girlfriend, where, like, no one recognizes her because Who? she's just too plain. Yeah. Well, I think that is might also be why Meg is happening, because that sort of Meg humor does feel very common among, like, mid to early 2000s sitcoms. Yeah, and the jokes where she's, like, ugly, though. I mean, since the show's animation style is so crude and rudimentary, it's kind of hard for any character to come off as, like, super ugly unless they, like, animate them that way. Right. Like, we're forced to just take their yeah, word for so it. Yeah, so it just seems kind of, like, weird, and... It is, it is, if I can get pretentious, it is a case of content not matching format. Yeah. That, I do want to... Well, and I mean, and it's weird because, like, we know that they are able to do that. Like, every time I see Herbert, I'm like, oh, you really put a lot of work into making him visually unappealing. I think it's, you know? I think it's also that, like, season four in general has a lot more gross-out humor. They have that, like, Ipecac puke joke, which, it's kind of funny. It's a little funny. All right, you guys, I got eight crates of Epicac from Mort, all on my tab. Now, whoever goes the longest without puking gets the last piece of pie in the fridge. Okay, here we go. How's everybody doing? Good, good so far. All right, all right. Nothing yet. Cool, cool. You know, I, I don't know if you guys had any of that pie already, but that is, uh, that is some tasty stuff. That's from the, uh, bake sale that Lois was... Yeah! Ooh, one down. I think that is, like, one of the more enduring jokes. Going back, it didn't hold up as well to me just because, like, halfway through the joke was kind of, like, the joke didn't really grow. I, I guess you could maybe, like, make the argument that, like, when it hits the punchline, that's something. But it really, I think it goes on too long without, I don't know. I, I'm not going to write an essay about it. better in it, the, uh, the reversal episode where they throw up backwards and then throw up again. I remember laughing at that way more. Yeah, that's a good way to, I think, call back to it. I think, yeah, the, I just, I, I don't think the original I also, had I also think the steam That kind of jokes is probably, like, the most iconic joke of the season. Like, I don't think it's in these, this set of episodes, but you also have, right. like, the Brian and Stewie, where's my money joke, which is probably the most iconic, one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic mm. Family Guy joke. And that, that kind of joke is... Or the uh, one with uh, Peter and Michael Moore, fart the farting competition or whatever. Oh, the um, deliverance, yeah. We're there, where they're doing the dueling banjos or whatever. Going back to Meg, the one thing I wanted to say with her is that I was kind of surprised how they just kind of drop in her friend group. Like, they just give her one. There's no real introduction to any of those characters. She's just hanging out with those people. Well, there there was a bit, they existed a bit in the earlier seasons. I mean, in, in the same kind of way, but I think they do them a bit more mm. this season. But, like, they, they were definitely a I, thing. I also think it's worth pointing out that, like, family dynamic and also Neil as a character, I think, works much better with the way, like, Steve and Haley are portrayed in American Dad. Like, I think that handles the sort of teen high school stuff way better than Family Guy ever does. Um, I think that makes sense. Yeah, do we have, like, more to say about the characters? Because I, I think that they didn't really expand the supporting cast all that much this season. They just kind of refined it. I, I think the thing also, Peter, is that they, they really cram up this season is a lot more of the Peter is a literal child jokes, which we'll get to and to be tarted. But, like, I like that aspect of the, of the show, but it's, it's very easy for it to be overwhelming. Um... I wrote in my notes, I think that this season kind of pivots away from Peter as, like, just the pig-headed kind of jerky dad character and makes him more, like, well-meaning but selfish, just kind of dopey guy. And personally, I think that hits better for me, if only because it's, like, less well-tread ground. Like, it's more cartoony than sitcom-y. And I, I think that And, and this season is the start of, of ramping up Peter's cartoony. It goes a bit too far, like, a lot of stuff that we talk about. But I, I think that at this point, it works significantly better than Peter worked in the first three seasons. Yeah. Oh, also one more thing about, we're not going to do a deep dive into this episode, but uh, they kind of write Loretta out of the show. Yeah, it, which I mean, is fine because she didn't really have much of a character. This is like, I think the second time that she gets like an actual character in the show besides the King and I episode, but I don't know. It feels kind of like lazy. Cleveland is in a weird transitionary period as a character in Family Guy for like eight years because it's four more years of this and there are three more years of this on top of the first year. And then it's four years of American Dad. It takes Cleveland until show. season 12 till we get to the modern Cleveland. 
And so it's not until season 12 that we, like, get Cleveland and, and uh, his, his proper family. Also, do they even make Cleveland a mailman in season 12? Or is that, like, a later thing? It's just, like... I think that's a later addition. Because right now he owns the deli. Yeah, no, he's not now. I mean, like, when he comes back from Cleveland show, does, does he become a mailman the same season? Um, or I think maybe it's, like, a season after. I, I don't think that they deal with his career all that often, but I, I think that... The, well, that, that's what I'm getting at, is that, like, Cleveland has just been kind of, despite being a kind of a boring character, has been just kind of, like, completely all over the place for, like, eight years straight, and I think that's just kind of interesting, and it sort of starts here with the, the Cleveland, Loretta, and... Quagmire. I'm glad they wrote Loretta out of the show, because, as is, she, you, you can get into, like, the, let's say, questionable aspect of a white guy playing uh, Cleveland, but... He is at least, like, a character. He has this very, like, meek streak, and he has this kind of, this very dry delivery also. Whereas Loretta is just, like, a vaguely racist joke about a sassy black woman, and that is it. That is her entire character. I mean, to, to be fair, Alex, this is, I think, the first time that Alex Borstein had a uh, character who was just kind of, like, a racial stereotype. It's a joke about Mrs. Swan. Um, something you, you bring up, I just want to remember, is the, um... Is the the Cleveland auction joke this season? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That that's all, that's what I'm thinking. Like, that's I think a very good like some summary of Cleveland's character this season. Do we have anything to add about like the structure of the show? Since I actually wanted to add that uh, before we go into the individual episodes, that one thing I did catch and it kind of snapped a lot of things together for me is that Family Guy is, if nothing else, really good at picking up and skewering like little annoying human behaviors like, awkward conversations people have, or... Oh, they go way into the conversational humor this season. Like, they, they touched on it a bit before, but this is, like, this season's stock and trick. I noticed it during the uh, extended Osama Bin Laden gag at the ep- at the beginning of episode 14, where he's, like, kind of has yeah. this, like, repertoire with, uh, like, you know, all the other members of Al-Qaeda. Eh, repartee. The repartee, yeah. yeah. You said rep- repertoire, yeah. dumbass. Oh, uh, he has this... <laughs> no, where sorry. he has this repartee with uh, members of Al-Qaeda. And I don't know, it feels very, I don't want to say realistic, but this feels like a conversation yeah. that happened in the writer's room and that they just plucked it and they put it in this situation since it it feels like a real well, conversation. Yeah. It feels very human. And, and that's something that I, I don't know if this is really anything, but I want to bring it up because like, obviously if you're making like adult animation in the wake of, 9-11 like you can't avoid talking about it and for me this brought to mind like the I think kind of inevitable comparison between this and the South Park episode about 9-11 where they just have uh Bin Laden as like a monkey man making woo, 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 noises which is like stupid but but I I think that and maybe it's just because I had the benefit of like a couple years on it but I honestly think this is like braver and more interesting than South Park's take, which is... Yeah, South Park's take does feel very rushed and very like this was written immediately after 9-11. And also the thing about South Park is that, and and whatever, you can call me like a pussy or whatever, for South Park is much, it is a significantly more mean-spirited show than Family Guy in a way that I think sometimes goes a bit too far. Or maybe not even too far, but maybe just doesn't serve the show. You know? One thing that I that I do think Family Guy ha- or South Park handled a little better in that way is that like the the Osama bin Laden episode was like the first episode of the season, right? It was the first after the break. Okay, this episode feels weird because they do that Osama bin Laden bit in the second to last episode in this production order, which is really weird because you'd think you'd open the season on a joke like that or something, or at least so. so or the it's, second it's, it's episode is weird since the first one has the cancellation gag. I mean, to be fair, they are making it, you know, three years after 9-11 or whatever. Because, I mean, this stuff aired in, like, 2004. So so when they were producing it, it was probably at least 2003. So they had, they had a little bit of, like, benefit of hindsight that I don't think the South Park guys did. But, I don't know, there's something about this that worked a lot better for me. Also, there was also, we were starting to, you know, we talked about the family guy being more political. This season was when the sort of war on terror stuff was starting to die down because it was very clear that, like, Oh yeah, Bush doesn't, right. there are no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Do we have anything else to add about the season? Since I feel like, I mean, we do have more, we'll talk about it more next episode, but anything for this batch of episodes? 
I had a minor note, which is that I think we brought it up in previous episodes, the kind of family guys leaning on the 32nd scene, you know, where it's kind of just like they do one scene and then get out. That kind of was building throughout the past season, season and a half, but I think this is kind of like the king of the 32nd scene, where it's like most of the episodes are made up of just like a one or two joke scene that they kind of get in, get out, and maybe a cutaway. And that's like, I think, a central building block to this season in a way that it wasn't previously. Andy, do you have anything, Dad? Uh, do I have anything I want to add? Not really nothing that I don't want to add uh, next episode. Uh, I, 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 I just want to say... Uh, if, I, if we haven't been clear for our positiveness overall, this is my favorite Family Guy season so far. And oh, it's, I don't yeah. think this is my favorite, but it, it it was, let's say last night I had to watch five episodes in a row at like three in the morning because uh, I was behind. And I think that if I did that for season three, I would have like snapped and yeah. done something I can't mention on the show. Whereas this definitely went down a lot easier. I think also, while I do like this season more, I do get why the season two fans consider that the peak because it is a very different show and it never goes back to that show again. Like even season three was a radical departure. Again, as we mentioned before, this is the first season where they changed showrunners. We talked about maybe we're ascribing too much auteurist control to Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, because this season also has like a bunch of different writers and a lot of different directors because a lot of the big directors from season three, like um, Michael Dante Diamarno, are working on other projects like, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender and other stuff. They handed this to David A. Goodman and Chris Sheridan for this season, and I think they took it in a pretty good direction, all things considered. So, I think we will move on to the individual episodes after a short break. It seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But where are those good old-fashioned values on which we used to rely? And we're back. Uh, we're going in through the individual episodes. Ty, what episode did you uh, pick for us to talk about? So my episode that I picked is Breaking Out is Hard to Do. Uh, it is the episode in which Lois gets addicted to shoplifting, and after some trials and travails with going a bit too far with it, she is caught by Joe, uh, arrested, and subsequently broken out by the Griffin family, and then they are forced to hide out in Little China, I think is what they call it, not Chinatown, but Little China. Little Asia, or Asia Little Town. Asia. Yeah, which is uh, very fun. Um, and then Joe finds them. They go through an elaborate chase scene, and then everything goes back to normal because Lois saves Joe's life. Um, I, I picked it because it's not my favorite episode of the season. There are a couple that I like a bit more, but it is, I think, the first highlight of how different Lois is in the season from previous seasons. And given that, I think she is the strongest character this time around. I think it was a worthy choice because I think they really hit the balance between her as kind of a genuinely kind person and like kind mother, but also someone who definitely has those darker impulses under her and lets them loose sometimes in a way that I think is really exciting. And also, I have a history of shoplifting, and it kind of spoke to me. I also liked this episode and how it ended it, because it, it does feel sort of transitional. Like, like if you did this episode in the modern day, Lois would not feel any guilt. Like, it would be Brian or, or Chris and Meg that would be talking her down. She'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to keep stealing. I want to say with this episode that I think for the first, like, ten minutes of it, I was laughing so consistently. Like, it, it was kind of, it threw me off because, you know, normally, even, like, really good Family Guy episodes, like, the jokes are kind of more spread out since they usually have, like, a couple of really good ones per episode. This one was, like, very, very consistent and very, very fast. Yeah, like, both of the, the, the child thieves' yes. uh, jokes are yes, really I solid. Yes, I laughed really hard at the v polite child thief. This episode, uh, I guess we should also, anytime we, uh, you know, since we don't want to get too auteurist, we should at least uh, list the director and writer. This episode was uh, directed by uh, Kirk Dumas and Tom Devaney. Also, in terms of, like, comedic stuff, this has one of my favorite Adam West jokes of all time. I love the Adam West life break yes. joke. It's so good. The, or my name is an Adam. My name is an Adam Wee. Or, we, is, it? or yeah. is it? Don't ever call this light again. Yeah, yeah it is. A, oh. Yeah, I, I'm glad you pointed out that Very the funny. second half of the episode where they enter Asia Town isn't as good. I think it's I, I hate to bring in my film nerd cred into this, but 
I, I really like the first episode, North by North Quahog, in part because I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, and they basically just kind of recycle the plot of that movie for the episode. This is kind of the second episode in this season that we're talking about, uh, where they kind of do a, like a Man on the Run style Hitchcock plot, and... It doesn't work as well this time. And as you pointed out also, the jokes in the second half are almost entirely like, haha, Asian. And sometimes it's funny. Yeah. Like sometimes they get with the, um, when they're ordering Caucasian food for dinner. That's funny. That's funny. Hey, everybody, I'm home. Oh, you're just in time. I ordered Caucasian for dinner. I think it's also worth noting that, like, the sewer bit feels like a really tacked-on conclusion. Well, I mean, really, like, the second half feels kind of tacked-on. Like, I, I think North by North Quahog works in the respect that you're talking about because the episode is kind of built around that conceit, where in this it's kind of, like, two separate episodes, one of which I think is really funny and one of which is kind of lackluster. Well, it also helps in the first one, and again, I hate to bring my Hitchcock autourism into our Family Guy show, but... North by Northwest has a very, I'm almost going to say Family Guy-esque plot where it just kind of hops from one thing to another, except instead of gags, it's like set pieces. Um, it's like, oh, Cary Grant's uh, running away from the plane now. Cary Grant's on top of Mount Rushmore now. And they just take that and they put it into the show and it works. Where this one, it, they don't have that like backbone to really provide it. And it, they, it feels lumpy and glued together. You can cut this out of tie if you want, but I just want to point out Spencer. Can you imagine how great Cary Grant would have been as a Family Guy guest character if he lived that long? Could you like, his entire style of comedy yeah, would have been I mean, so amazing uh, in this show. Yeah, Cary Grant, he feels like a lot of what Brian is based off of. I, I mentioned Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson, but yeah, there is a lot of Cary Grant in uh, Brian and he would have been a really great guest character. I think Cary Grant's a bit, like, in his roles, is a bit too sort of, maybe I've only seen his earlier stuff, but too optimistic and sort of jolly for the, the Brian archetype. But I, I do kind of get in terms of the, the snarky wisecracker. Yeah. He's always one step ahead. Anyways, I'm glad you mentioned this episode because it, it's kind of a frustrating one. The first half highlights all of Family Guy's strengths, where they can just do this, like, machine gunfire comedy where they... They're not obligated to plot or character, so they can just go, whatever's funny works. Um, in the second half, it feels I like... Would, I would make the argument that I, I think that part of what helps the first season is that they do, or the first half of the episode is that they do have a more solid grasp on what makes the characters work. Like, or the first half is really carried by Lois and, and the various, like, angles of her psychology. And I, I think that genuinely, like, it works because they have an understanding of what they want to do with Lois as a character. Yeah. But, but they also balance it well with the gags. But I like I don't my point like whatever. I might be yeah. splitting hairs. I don't think it's I just wanted to say though that the second half kind of highlights a lot of family guys' weaknesses is that whenever get plot gets subordinated to humor, also the uncomfortable racial stuff, but whenever plot gets subordinated like when humor gets subordinated to plot, it stops dead because the right. show isn't meant to have sitcom stories. It's meant to tell like dumb jokes and it just doesn't work as well. I also want to say one of the things that, like, you know, when we're talking about stuff, people don't like a family guy. The Take On Me joke, while I liked it because Take On Me is one of the greatest pop rock songs of all time, there's no reason that has to be there and it doesn't really contribute to the joke. It's just like, hey, let's do Take On Me for an episode, you know? But, you know. Yeah, and the animation is, like, good, like, the way that they kind of splice Chris in there but yeah I don't think it's like a joke I think it's more just like a reference which is also something that they kind of do more in this season than maybe since season two where I think that was kind of a bit heavier but they do a lot of the things where it's like a reference isn't a joke. Andy which episode did you bring? I picked PTV. This one's a big one. So I, I, want, I want to talk about this episode because I think this is also a different, really funny episode that's kind of split down the middle. But instead of like it being structured in like half and half, like where it's like the first half's go to the second half, it's not that it's a, a lot of the jokes and musical numbers are really fun and likable in this episode. But it also has one of the most juvenile like censorship analyses that I've ever seen from a piece of media. Like, it is it is just the FCC yeah. is evil, guys. It just feels whiny. For people who haven't seen it, the plot of the episode, at the Emmys, there's a... While the Emmys go on, there's, like, someone's balls slip David out. David Hyde Pierce, I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah. basically that causes the FCC to go overboard and censor a lot of TV, basically. I feel like this was... I think this was too early, but 
It feels like it might have been based on the uh, Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson. The Super Bowl incident, um, but it was in that time period. I feel like they were in production before that happened. If I had to guess, yeah, it, it was probably. But I mean, just some I can see that. Grudge. I mean, and Family Guy has no shortage of anger at the FCC. Yeah, yeah. and then what happens is, is that causes they censor a lot of old TV too. So Peter makes his own public broadcasting station and sort of runs his own TV show where he airs like old episodes of shows and he makes his own original programming like the Peter Griffin side boob hour. And then the FCC shuts it down and then starts censoring real life, which is just such a it's almost works, but it no. And uh eventually and it's all Lois is doing. It's Lois is the one who calls the FCC on Peter. And it ultimately snaps for her when uh, the FCC stops letting them have sex together. I want to point out a thing before we get in the plot synopsis more. I actually think the freaking FCC is one of my favorite Family Guy songs of all time. Me, yeah, I... Yeah, it, it's... This is the episode with the freaking FCC song, which is maybe in the top five Family Guy songs ever. And it's so good that they brought it back for the Emmys. Oh, yeah, I know all about the FCC. They will clean up all your talking in a manner such as this. They will make you take a tinkle when you want to take a piss. And they'll make you call fellatio a trouser-friendly kiss. Here's the plain situation. There's no negotiation with the fellas at the freaking FCC. I think part of why it works, not to get too music nerd on it, but I, I think part of where it works is because this is the first time that he's really comfortable with alt singing in all three of the voices. Like, he had a couple times where he was kind of comfortable with Brian, uh, I'm thinking of You've Got a Lot to See and stuff like that, and maybe like snatches of Stewie, but it always felt like he was kind of not fully snapped into it, like using his actual techniques while also combining it with the kind of character voices that he had to do, which were usually pretty big and out there but I think this is the first time where it really he strikes that balance between technique and character that for all three of them that I, I think really comes together I wanted to mention also I don't know if this is the case for this season I know it's the thing by season eight or so but in the musical numbers they might have started using pitch correction I know because I was watching um, one episode with my friend Maddie and she since she's like a musician she was able to catch when they would use like sort of note correction pitch correction in songs but I don't know if it's a thing yet but if it is that would explain why it sounds I mean better. I could see that being a thing I have nothing against autotune personally like I think it's kind of a stupid gripe but it works I mean the music in this number with the exception of maybe like one or two songs from the pre-cancellation the music just straight up sounds better i think this episode would honestly might work a little better as like a season two or three episode because it's it's really funny and jokes but it i don't know it's it's uh and i and again also you know not to point out but like simpsons had a season two episode that tackled the fcc and like they have handled it way more maturely and adultly than anything in like this show like this is just no i mean that simpsons episode had like the ability to not put any like cartoon villains out there like it it's sort of recognized that violent programming or whatever or what is actually kind of bad for kids but they, they thought it was just sort of a give and take between you know where do we draw the line where what censorship is good what isn't where this is just very anti-fcc for reasons that feel really juvenile so this is stupid um but for whatever reason the simpsons thing got me thinking we forgot to mention in the first half uh bruce is introduced this season who later becomes a kind of mainstay in the same way that the guy with the new york accent who does all the jobs is and Simpsons, and we, we just forgot to bring him up, but Bruce... Well, again, because Bruce is like all the best characters in the show, he is a very fussy and very particular man. That's the same deal. But he's also chiller than a lot of the other fussy characters. Like, he he, he, he has that kind of Cleveland... But I, I feel like a lot of the characters are at their strongest when they're being very, being very particular or fussy. And he has that, like, very, I want to say, like, middle school parent type of, like, fussiness where he likes stuff like class projects or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but this episode does have a lot of good jokes. Like, I really like the, uh, the Tom Tucker joke. We'll be right back and then just walks right off screen. You're on TV, Mr. Tucker. Can't you do something about this? Well, Peter, I'm flattered you came to me for help. We'll have more after this. Good evening. We're back. 
I also like the the Adam West uh, thank you Magic Tinker Fairy. Uh, yeah. Adam West is consistently a bright spot in the show because he's just like such a just off the wall character, and he fully commits to all of the like insane lines they give him. And he gets more and more crazy as it goes on. You're just never like, no, this is too much. It's always just like, yeah, thank you, Adam. Uh, this is not one of the episodes we're covering, but I, I do want to say, unfortunately, during the season, I think we should at least mention the James Woods episode because along with Adam West, James Woods is oh, like yeah. maybe yeah. one of the most charismatic people they've had on this show, which sucks. Cause yeah, he's, like he's such an a utterly repulsive really. human being. Like, he's a complete MAGA guy on Twitter. He's he awful. sued someone for... And allegedly, parody, he is... Uh, he likes sleeping with teenagers. And he allegedly. allegedly parody smokes crack. I say that because he sued someone for saying that. So it, this is a, uh, allegedly, a joke but... satire. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We are alleging we don't know any of this. But yeah, uh, but yeah despite how much we might not li- like James Woods, he's great in everything he appears in because he's just such a likable character and oh, has a great voice. Never been bad. He doesn't even, like, do a lot of voices. Like, it's just yeah. him talking, but he's just such a... He just has that, like, charm that is... I just want to say, Spencer, you're right. Uh, James Wood is such a great show because all of his characters really do a lot fit into that sort of fussy dynamic. But he, like he also, like, in his movie roles, too, he kind of has this very sleazy, very manic persona that if you've seen any of his movies, he, he doesn't, like change his behavior a lot but he's one of those people that kind of works in whatever role you give him he's a character actor yeah he's a character actor but his character is charming guy i i have a few minor nitpicks that i just want to throw out like one something that noticed me this is the episode that has the um the osama bin laden opening and something that like really noticed me is, is two little nitpicks from the, the episode one is they do like a montage of Stewie riding through various scenes in his tricycle and they have a clip of him riding through Doom 1 and I just noticed it because they did not use any of the Doom 1 sound effects but when they did Star Wars. I like the uh, intro of your episode also where Stewie bikes through all these different... Yeah, it's a good joke. Um, It feels weird that it's like the set. Like, why is it in this episode in particular? But it's also the first time they really referenced The Simpsons. It's kind of gotten to the point nowadays where, like, Dan Castellaneta just shows up all the time to play Homer. But this is the first time since there's... I do remember there being this sort of this cultural stereotype that Family Guy's just a ripoff of The Simpsons. It's not really because it's just a really old sitcom format. But it, um... Yeah, this is the first time they start leaning on that. I want to talk about my episode now. I feel like I've... Oh, by the way, uh, warning, we're going to have to use uh, words that people are not uncomfortable with, our word in particular. Uh, if you don't like that, I would recommend you tune that out now. Okay, so I, Ty, in your notes, you said, this episode is aged as poorly as The Sun also draws in Peter Griffin, husband, father, brother, both episodes I've brought onto the show. I feel like I'm Yeah, the, you are very, you're a fan yeah, of those. I, I'm not a fan of them, I just think they're the most interesting to talk about. <laughs> no, you about. love them. They're your favorite. To be fair, I would agree with Spencer in the sense that this episode is much better this than that one. Kind of this episode has good jokes so I, I think i have a reputation for bringing the think piece episodes on to the show uh because i find them the most interesting and they're uncomfortable in a way that i think lends itself well to discussion this episode is called and again i uh, i just kind of have to say it like this it is called p tarted it is an episode where peter after winning a game of trivial pursuit which lois rigs to uh help him win he becomes convinced he's a genius so he takes an iq test and he uh, is not a genius, but he is legally mentally challenged. Not just any IQ test that he takes. Uh, he takes a test to qualify for the MacArthur Genius Grant, which the writers are apparently under the impression that only geniuses get, and it's for being a genius. Yeah, I gotta say, I think this might have been a better episode if they just let him get the MacArthur Genius Grant, and like he just <laughs> he just like kind of stumbles into it, and then he makes Hamilton, and then yeah. they, they just give him like five hundred thousand dollars, and then he just like builds the Batmobile or something well they do that i think in season nine or whatever yeah where where they win the lottery yeah yeah peter like failing upward i think is a better um concept for an episode i think anyways uh i wanted to bring this episode since once he gets diagnosed as being mentally challenged he starts to wield it and he starts to like abuse all the special treatment he gets in order to do whatever he wants without repercussions like, he drives into Tom Tucker, and uh, Tom Tucker doesn't even bother calling the police. It's like, well, you're you're mentally challenged. So I want, I want to be the one who brings South Park in the way that you guys bring Simpsons in. It's a very similar conceit to the episode where Cartman claims to have Tourette's, but I think 
There's also the episode where, uh, there's it's also- It's more offensive, but I think it's funnier. And it's also the character is more actively punishment, whereas, like, Cartman is faking it to get attention. Yeah, which is- And also, he's not even, like, mentally challenged. He's just stupid. Yeah. Like, they just think it's the same thing, which I guess everyone who kind of uses it as, like, uses that word to mean stupid, like, kind of has that in mind, but- It also helps for the Tourette's episode, where there's, like, people who actually have Tourette's, like, characters who actually have Tourette's in the episode, and they, like, really, like, portray them simply pathetically like you know it kind of sucks to have all these ticks where there's like no like person who's yeah. genuinely like you know like high on the autism spectrum to counterbalance Down syndrome it. or anything yeah they don't i don't think they bring in like an actual down syndrome's character until the one where chris like has a crush on a girl with down syndrome i also wanted to uh mention there's another south park episode that does this better where Cartman pretends to be mentally challenged to get into the special olympics and i think that one is also better because A, if the character is pretending to be mentally challenged, I think that lends itself to sharper satire. And also, again, like the best joke of the Cartman episode is he enters the Special Olympics, he gets in, and then he gets his ass kicked completely. Yeah, because they're actually good athletes. Yeah. No, I, and again, this is something that I've said in the past. I think South Park is a more mean-spirited show. I also think it is a way smarter and, or at least more clever show than Family Guy ever has been. So that led me to the conclusion that I think that this episode would be better if Peter was pretending to be like have like down syndrome or pretend to be like autistic because I, again that would be like more problematic but i think since it feels like there's like a germ of a point in this episode uh that's trying to like come out where it's like the way the condescending way people treat mentally challenged people where peter just like he goes into the woman's bathroom and then just kicks down doors and then he says i hate to say it sorry retarded and then they say oh bless your heart and the that feels like if he was pretending or if the show was smarter, that would be sort of a commentary on, you know, there's this condescending way people treat the mentally challenged. I also feel like this also exists in a show where, like, this show is existing in a universe where people actually, like, do care about mentally handicapped right. people. Well, yeah, the whole time it kind of, the attitude it takes is like, wow, you know, look at all of the things that mentally challenged people get. Like, aren't they lucky? Or, you know, even if they have, like, this problem, like, wow, look at how well they're treated, which is, I mean, completely alien from reality in the one way, and in the other way just like isn't a funny way to like take the concept you know what the worst part of this episode is despite being mean-spirited and awful and toxic it has a lot of great yeah it's really funny oh, like, no for sure it's yeah. my favorite you know what's my favorite joke of the episode the joe which one which joe one <laughs> where, where peter comes in to ask him about being mentally oh handicapped. uh yeah. yeah no ty please put that in <laughs> So what can I do for you, Peter? Well, Joe, I need to talk to you about something kind of personal. Shoot. Well, you know, I took this test, and uh, it sort of turns out that I'm technically mentally retarded. And, um, you know, I just wanted to ask, you know, how, how do you deal with it? Deal with what? You, you know, with, with being retarded. Peter, I'm not retarded. I'm handicapped. Oh, well, now you're just splitting hairs. That's one if, of the best jokes If this of was all a smarter time. show, that would be so... So good. That would, it's I mean, really it funny, so but it would be like a, I can see that like exact joke working in like a satire of like, you know, the way society treats mentally challenged and disabled people. That would work so good. And the, oh, the joke where they play paintball with real guns is really good. I love that one. The I, I really like the, the Brian in your face joke because he says, I'm sorry afterwards. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's so many good jokes. In I this like the episode. joke about Cleveland's uh, black rights board game where he, the punchline is you don't win, you just do a little better each time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or like Very when Lois says, we're always happy to feel a little bit better about ourselves after playing it. <laughs> Um, also, uh, I don't want to be like the one who talks about musicals on here, except I desperately do. Uh, they have a really fun little Bye Bye Birdie reference, um, which, you know, contrasts with how kind of, uh, uncomfortable the episode is to watch, but I mean, I love, whatever, I love musicals. And I, I wasn't aware, I wasn't aware of the reference because I hadn't seen the musical, but, uh, I was aware that it was a reference and I thought it was pretty well handled. Yeah, it... No, I mean, it's, Bye Bye Birdie is not the best musical ever, but it's, a better musical than they give it credit for, and that's one of the more fun songs from it. I'll probably forget about it when the time comes, but I think my favorite uh, one of those is when they do Good Morning from Singing in the Rain. Yes, I, we'll I, get to that. Uh, yeah, so this is a tricky episode because unlike the other Think Piece episodes, like The Sun Also Draws or Peter Griffin, Husband, Father, Brother. Which aren't good. Later Think Piece episodes we'll do bonus episodes on. Like, you know, we talked with Angie about When You Wish Upon a Weinstein, or we'll talk later about... 
Quagmire's dad. Oh yeah, this one has the benefit of being extremely funny. It's just very troublesome also. Or also the episode, just going on more, the, the episode that I think of where like a millennial comes to work at the brewery to, to appeal to that, that episode's also really bad. Um, or the Brian Twitter episode. Oh yeah, no, There's so many uncomfortable episodes of the show that don't have the benefit of being funny. Uh, this one at least does. Yeah. Yeah. This, one, this one is at least very funny. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess we gotta hand that to them where they managed to get a lot of really good jokes out of this concept, yes. even though it's kind of offensive and terrible so i i feel like there's a version of this episode that exists that's like the best episode of the show right. if it was yeah if it was a smarter if it was smarter about mental and physical disabilities i think it would be a genuinely great episode but because this was written in 2003 by family guy writing crew it's not so yeah no it's kind of a it's tricky uh but that's kind of the show in the nutshell is that even when it's frequently offensive and unforgivably thoughtless it still can be really really funny do we have anything to add before we go? Uh, I don't really think so. We'll, I mean, we'll be back next episode for the rest of season four. But for the meantime, I mean, yes, we'll be, uh, uh, we'll be joined next time by a good friend from Twitter, uh, Patrick, aka Good Guy Sixty Nine. He is one of the funniest people on Twitter. He, I'll probably put, repost a bunch of his videos. But yeah, he's a great Twitter presence. Also, if you are an insane masochist and watching the show alongside us. Uh, don't watch the uh, the last three episodes of season four yet, since they were technically originally released on a DVD before they were properly aired on TV, so they'll be getting their own bonus episodes. And we brought up South Park a lot, and we will also be talking about the South Park episode where they make fun of Family Guy, Cartoon Wars. Look out for that, too. That should about do it for the episode. Uh, be sure to follow us all on Twitter. Ty, do you have anything to add? Yes. I looked it up, and apparently the world's most explosive chemical is called azidoazide azide. It's like basically anything can set it off, so it would probably be pretty dangerous to work with, but it seems pretty cool. Also, follow us on Twitter. And uh, speaking of Twitter, one thing I want to Spencer should probably put the uh, the, the episode... the. Uh episode list the um if you want us to cover a bonus episode of something just let us know and we'll probably do it if we have time all right that should about do it and we'll see you all next week or in a few days probably since there'll be the bonus episode all right peace Bye-bye. bye bye today that all